The sky is falling. You've heard that saying before, right? Well, with protests apparently being reported right now, at least as we were getting ready for this podcast, that things might be calming down with the protests in China. Wall Street is also freaking out because Jerome Powell is supposed to be speaking later this week on the jobs report. And Wall Street's freaking out about it. I don't know why they are, okay, at the end of the day. I mean, we've already seen in the past that when companies report layoffs in the making, company stocks tick up. And so maybe they're hoping that, at least on Wall Street, they're not maybe hoping that not as many people are working, which is a sickening thing to think about at the end of the day. But it also makes me wonder what happens if Jerome says, oh, there's more people working. Is the market going to tank that day? We'll find out in a couple of days when it actually does happen. But it's just extremely fascinating that Wall Street can be so bipolar when it comes to what's happening across the board with the China issues and stuff. And then obviously, oh, Jerome, well, if it's not China, then it has to be Jerome Powell right now. Always having an excuse, it seems like. Things we're going to be talking about in today's podcast, okay? We got more news from Nightscope, and it's kind of a big deal. And I know I talk about Nightscope a lot on this podcast, but I I just find today's articles a little bit interesting, what Nightscope is saying and how Wall Street's reacting. And it's just a fascinating just to see what's happening between the two currently right now. We got some news from Nightscope. Then we got some news from Elon Musk in Twitter, and we're going to cover a little bit of that later in today's podcast as well. We then got to talk about Joe Biden and the railroad union potential strike that's in the making and what Joe Biden is asking Congress to do. And finally, we got to close today's podcast talking about the energy sector as Goldman Sachs sees something that does not look promising for our future at the pump. With that being said, I have to remind you all that I'm not a professional advisor in any way, shape, or form, and everything I talk about in this podcast is for information purposes only. You need to do your own research before investing in any company as you're not guaranteed to make money when you invest in the stock market. Please also note that I do have a long and short position in Nightscope, the company, and everything I talk about is not financial advice on this on the Nightscope at all. Everything I talk about in this podcast is for information and entertainment purposes only, sprinkled in with a few things of my opinion as well. I legally cannot give you financial advice and that you must do your own research before investing in any company. With that being said, let's begin today's podcast. From Nightscope today, Nightscope projects tripling annualized revenue. Whoa, what is this? Nightscope had a video go out yesterday and I'd highly advise for those of you who do follow Nightscope or who don't follow Nightscope to look into the video. Their ro- their show, the robot, it's called like the Rise of Robots or something, the show that they posted on YouTube. It's a short little 11 minute, 11 minute clip where they're talking about the future of Nightscope and how they're planning to grow the company, okay? And there's a lot of fascinating stuff within, in that video if you take the time to watch it. But in this article, we'll talk a little bit about what they said right here, okay? From Mountain View, California, Business Wire, a leading developer of autonomous security robots today announces it anticipates revenue growth for the next 12 months and will be broadcasting the first video episode in a series called Rise of the Robots today across its social media platforms. Nightscope's investors frequently inquire to obtain financial and statistical data about the company's progress. Rise of the Robots was created to share important company updates to investors and tens of thousands of its followers. Quote, we will be filing the 8K for the combined entity at the end of the year, said William Santana Lee, Nightscope's chairman and CEO. Continuing on the quote, we expect that the two units together will likely be running at a revenue rate in the range of 12 million to 14 million, delivering on accelerated growth by a significant margin versus the 3.4 million from 2021. The rise of the robots is happening. Nightscope's main mission is to make the United States safe country, safest country in the world and growth experience in 2022, along with many client reported successes, put them on one small step to making that dream a reality. 
Contract sizes continue to increase with numerous multiple unit deals announced, such as the doubling of its contact contract with PG&E, the growth of three major healthcare networks and universities, and the company's largest K-5 order from the major nationwide retailer. Each of the clients can be easily scaled as Nightscope accelerates p- penetration in multiple verticals. Okay. If you listen to that that video later on where they're talking about what's happening with the growth at Nightscope, something that needs to be said too about it is that they are actually able to uh, continue to grow at a 300% growth. They don't say this in the video, actually. This is a Yahoo article that I found later on that says that if Nightscope actually meets these numbers, they'll be growing at a 300% increase across the board. 300% increase, okay, if they get that range of 12 to 14 million. What's also interesting from from the video side of things, I know I'm stuttering over my words right now, but in the video series that they gave on the Rise of the Robots, they said that their goal, and they don't give future future projections. And the fact that they're saying this on the video is fascinating. Their goal is to be profitable within the next 24, less than 24 months, less than 24 months. Okay. If Nightscope is able to achieve profitability and continue to have these insane growth rates, Nightscope will not be ignored anymore by Wall Street. This isn't financial advice. And like I've mentioned, I do have some, I do have some, some of my uh, income in Nightscope currently right now. It's a small position because I believe in the company and this isn't financial advice, but Nightscope is growing. And I I find it fascinating. Yesterday we were talking about how these startup companies were not making money. And here's a perfect example of a company that is making money that's growing. Okay. And they just gave future guidance. This also comes at a time where companies are not giving future guidance right now across the board. There are some companies that are, but for the most part, a lot of companies aren't. And you have a company like Nightscope that's giving future guidance of what they're expecting their revenue range to be at the end of this year. And Wall Street's ignoring the company by far, okay? This just proves to me that that Wall Street in general is not paying attention. They're not. And it's going to be extremely fascinating to see, and like I keep saying, when they decide to actually start paying attention, what's going to happen to this company at the end of the day? It's just fascinating across the board, like I said, because they're they're potentially going to grow by 300% by the end of this year if they make this revenue grow between 12 to 14 million. Here's my next question too for some of you who are listening. What happens if Nightscope not only meets those expectations, but beats it more? Because they're still selling contracts, right? They're, they're, we just talked about yesterday how they also had about 97 more uh not robots in general, but they're going to deploy 97 more machines out there. What happens then? What happens if they can get all their orders out? How much more does the company grow then? It's extremely fascinating that Wall Street's not paying attention to Nightscope. But we'll keep talking about it because if they can grow by 300%, Wall Street can't ignore them anymore. Well, they can because maybe they just don't like the fact that a lot of little guys got in before they did but it'd still be extremely fascinating, especially in the era of SPACs and Wall Street's always like, especially if you watch CNBC News, they're always just like, well, profitability is what matters for these startups now. Well, here's a company right now that might potentially become more profitable in time. Now there's other factors too, like maybe they don't meet their net income and all that stuff, right? But it's still extremely fascinating to see what's happening in Nightscope currently right now. 
And I got to remind you all again, like I've always said, I do have a position in Nightscope. It's a small and a very long-term position because I, like I said, I potentially see a lot of growth in the company in the future. This is, I'm not sponsoring Nightscope in any way, shape or form. And I'm not, and I cannot legally give you financial advice. It's just my opinion at the end of the day. Continuing on, Elon Musk claims that Apple threatened to remove the Twitter app. Hmm. This is kind of getting bigger news on the headlines currently right now, but it is something to pay attention to. It says Twitter owner Elon Musk claimed on Monday in a series of tweets that Apple has threatened to remove the Twitter app from its app store as part of its app review moderation process. Quote, Apple has also threatened to withhold Twitter from its app store, but won't tell us why Musk tweeted. In other tweets fired off Monday morning, he called Apple's app store fees a secret 30% tax and ran a poll asking if Apple should publish all censorship actions it take, has taken that affects its customers. He also claimed that Apple has pulled most of its advertising from Twitter. Apple's App Store is the only way to distribute software to iPhones. If the Twitter app were pulled, the social network would lose one of its main distribution platforms, although the service is available for the web. In addition, Apple requires iPhone app makers to pay between 15 and 30% of its digital goods sold through the app. Musk has said that one of his plans for Twitter is to raise billions of dollars from subscriptions, such as the Twitter Blue, which is offered through its iPhone app. If it were to grow Musk's goals, Apple could collect hundreds of millions of dollars in the process. Apple's faced challenges on its app store and fees and policies from companies such as Spotify and Epic Games. But Musk is no stranger to attracting worldwide attention and may represent Apple's biggest challenge. It is control of its iPhone app distribution so far. Apple declined to comment about Musk's tweets. But there are signs that Apple's watching the social network closely to see if it violates any app store policies. Representatives for our unnamed app stores, which include Apple App Store as well as Google Play for Android devices, reached out to Twitter earlier this month after Musk took over, and the site saw a wave of hate speech, according to the New York Times op-ed by Yule Roth, Twitter former head of trust and safety. Phil Schiller, Apple's former chief marketer who oversees app review, apparently deleted his Twitter account earlier this month after Musk took over. And finally, says Philip Shoemaker, the former head of Apple's app review and current CEO of Identify.com, said Schiller's move to delete his account reminded him of a company making moves to prepare for war. He believes that Apple's app review department is keeping a close eye on Twitter content moderation under Musk to see if more questionable content such as porn slips through. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious to know how this is going to all say at, end at the end of the day. Seems like Elon Musk is going to be going to war with a lot of these companies these days. No, honestly, not only just the companies, but social media influencers as well. And I guess you can say in a way that this kind of, this podcast is kind of a social media influence in a way. But in reality, we're just trying to report the news as much as we can to figure out what's going on in the markets because not everything's being reported. But this probably comes at a time when this news was dropping too and why Apple's paying attention. From the tech industry from CNBC, Twitter stops uh, policing COVID-19 misinformation under CEO Elon Musk and reportedly restores 62,000 suspended accounts, okay? From CNBC, in a recent update to its website, Twitter said it is effective November 23rd, is no longer enforcing its COVID-19 misleading information policies. It means the company will no longer prioritize removing or targeting misleading health information related to COVID-19. Twitter said in December of 2020 that it would begin to label and remove misinformation about COVID-19 vaccines as thousands of accounts made false claims about the coronavirus and the adverse impacts of immunizations. Twitter CEO Elon Musk has also been vocal critical of how health officials reacted to the coronavirus pandemic. 
He said during the company's first quarter of 2020 earnings call that the stay-at-home orders were forcibly imprisoning people in their own homes against all their constitutional rights. He also said that the Joe Rogan Experience podcast in 2020, that the morality rate of COVID-19 was much lower than the health officials estimated. Musk has commented to free speech on Twitter, which might partially explain why the change was enacted. But online safety experts have argued his approach has led to an increase in hate speech, harassment, and misinformation on the platform. Multiple civil rights groups urged advertisers to pause advertising on Twitter earlier this month after the company laid off thousands of employees, a move the group feared would impede the company's ability to moderate hateful and other problematic content. Musk has claimed that hate speech impressions have decreased since October, though it is not entirely clear how Twitter has been measuring these impressions. The change comes as technology newsletters platformer says employees are scrambling to restore more than 62,000 suspended accounts. That figure could include some of the more than 11,000 accounts that were suspended for violating the company's COVID-19 misinformation rules. On November 23rd, Musk shared a poll asking users whether Twitter should grant general amnesty and suspend accounts as long as they're not engaged in in grievous spam or broken any laws. Yes received 72.4% votes and no received 27.6%. The people have spoken must sit in his tweet the next day. Amnesty begins next week, Vox Day said. Musk used the same Latin phrase meaning the voice of the people, the voice of God. On November 19th to announce the former President Donald Trump's Twitter account be, would be reinstated. Under previous ownership, Twitter issued a lifetime ban on Trump account following his promotion of January 6th insurrection. It's going to be interesting to see how Twitter goes going forward. And honestly, Twitter is becoming the new Times Square. I firmly believe, okay, because people don't believe news outlets as much, that if Elon Musk continues to clean up Twitter, Twitter's going to become the number one source where people look for their news is news information in the future. And all honestly, okay, because think about it. If you're watching the news on television, which is probably far and few in between most of some of these fellow podcast listeners on this podcast or just in general, most people aren't watching cable network news anymore. And so, but let's just take a trip down memory lane. If you are watching the news, right, they have their story set up. And as they're talking, they might have like a breaking news segment. And then it says, this is event is happening and we'll get more information to you as it comes about. Well, you can tweet a lot faster than you can get information out there probably. And Twitter is going to be the new Times Square in the making. Now, True Social might be able to become a rival when it comes to Twitter at the end of the day, which is another topic for another day. But Twitter is the Times Square right now. And in the future, I personally believe, like I said, if Elon Musk can keep cleaning up Twitter, people are going to start using Twitter again. And not only that, but on Twitter, people are going to go for their news information there because you can post an article faster than the news can report sometimes. And I'm just curious to know in the future how that's going to affect a lot of things going forward. So, But we got some politics to cover real quick. Biden urges Congress to pass legislation to avert nationwide rail strike. From CNBC, President Joe Biden on Monday called on lawmakers to quickly approve a labor deal that would avert what he called a potential crippling national rail shutdown as early as December 9th. The tentative agreement, which Speaker Nancy Pelosi said the House would vote on this week, aims to prevent a freight strike just two weeks before Christmas, but it has divided workers at the two of the country's biggest rail unions. Biden urged lawmakers to adopt the tentative deal between railroad workers and operators without any modifications or delay and warned that the economic repercussions of a shutdown of the country's freight would freight rails would devastate the economy. 
As proud pro-labor president, I am reluctant to override the ratification procedures and the views of those who voted against the agreement, Biden said in a statement, but in case there were economic impacts of a shutdown would hurt millions of other working people and families. I believe Congress must use its power to adopt this deal. Congress should get the bill to my desk well in advance of December 9th so we can avoid disruption, he said. You know, it's funny. Joe Biden probably knows this will affect him in some way, shape, or form. Midterms have already passed, okay? Remember, before the midterms, he was talking to uh, Saudi Arabia, and he flat out said to them, like, hey, can you make sure you don't do oil production cuts before the midterms? And then Saudi Arabia said, yeah, we're going to make oil cut production no matter what. And then the midterms happen. And it's it's hard to tell where people... Because there's a lot of people saying, like, oh, like, Republicans won the midterms or Democrats won the midterms. I don't know who really won at the end of the day because we don't pay attention to a lot of that here. We just pay attention to what's happening around. But there are people saying that Republicans did win and others saying that Democrats won. So it's hard to tell. But what's interesting too is that he's now speaking out on this because he knows it would screw him over for the remaining time of his presidency. It's funny. When it's affecting his presidency in any way, shape or form, he he has to step in and talk about it. Because we talked about this in yesterday's podcast and I advise listening to it just to get a better understanding of it. But we had mentioned yesterday, just on the oil side of things, that when you use pipeline for oil transportation, it costs $3 a barrel, if I'm not mistaken. My my barrels might be off, but it costs like $3. When you're transferring it on train, it's like 10 to 15. And when you're doing it by truck, it's 20. He knows, Joe Biden knows this would affect him in any way, shape or form. And it would continue to put a stain on his presidency, which means if he ran for midterms or not midterms, if he ran for a second term as president, they whoever's running against him would use the, like this against him the entire time. It's extremely fascinating that these politicians always speak out when they know it's going to affect them in some way, shape or form. Continuing on, it says, shortly after Biden's statement, Pelosi said that the House would soon consider the tentative agreement. Quote, this week, the House will take up the bill adopting the tentative agreement with no poisonous pills or changes to the negotiated terms and send it to the Senate, she said in a statement. Now, what's in this bill, you might wonder? Okay, it says the deal would provide a 24% raise for railroad workers over five years and bump the average pay up to 110000 by 2024. The Associate of Republican Railroads say, okay, now... It says here too, it says, however, several unions have signaled their discontent with the proposed contract worked out with the help of the White House and Labor Secretary Marty Walsh, primarily over its lack of full paid sick leave and other scheduling requirements. This isn't one of those big things. I still think a rail strike is going to happen, in all honesty, because these rail unions want to be able to have their pay sick leave and they want to be able to not have to drive. As Because I, I think if I remember, we talked about this in the past podcast and my memory is a little fuzzy and I'd advise listening to the rail strike that we talked about a few months ago. But I think if I remember correctly, it said that the rail strike, what, if you work for a rail company, you have to be within a certain amount of distance from work and that a lot of these people who work for the rail companies have to use their time days off in order to handle sick days or something like that. It's probably one of the big things that's going to determine whether or not the strike happens or not. Interesting note to end when we before we move on to the next article. It says here that before December 9th's deadline to ensure continued rail service, a voluntary agreement isn't reached, a task that said Congress has taken on 18 times since 1926. So this would be number nine. No, not number nine, number 19 if this were to happen. I think a rail strike's going to happen. I still expect gas prices to potentially go up. 
But there's also another reason why now gas prices might go up too. Not only because of the rail strike, because like we just said, if you do it by pipe, it's $3, rail it's 10 to 15. And if it has to go on the truck, which means it's costing $20, you know, things are just going to get really interesting with the oil industry in the making, especially if this railroad strike happens, because it says here from CNBC, Goldman Sachs sees high probability of OPEC cut and expects oil prices to hit $110 next year. Oh, goody. We're going to be seeing high oil prices again and more to pay at the pump. So as a group of small of the world's most powerful oil producers is likely to take further measures to stem a price decline and try to balance the market according to Goldman Sachs. OPEC and non-OPEC plus, correction, OPEC and non-OPEC producers and Influence Energy Alliance, known as OPEC Plus, will continue in Vienna, Australia on December 4th. Oh, good. So in five days, we get to find this out. To decide on the next phase of production policy. It comes amid recession fears, weakening crude demand in China from renewed COVID-19 lockdowns as a market participation assessed the looming impact of Western price cap on Russian oil. Jeff Curry, global head of commodities at Goldman Sachs, said that Tuesday that the combination of fact- factors can has had led the bank to downgrade the oil price forecast in recent months. First and foremost, it was the dollar. What was the definition of inflation? Too much money chasing, too few goods, Curry told CNBC Steve Sedwick at Goldman Sachs Carbonomics Conference in London. The second factor has to do with COVID in China. And by the way, it's big, he continued. It's worth more than OPEC's cut for the month of November. Let's put it in perspective. And then the third factor is Russia. It's pushing barrels on the market right before the December 5th deadline for export ban. Curry said his medium-term oil outlook for 2023 was very positive and that the bank plans to stick to our guns with $110 a barrel Brent crude forecast for next year. He acknowledged, however, that there is a lot of uncertainty ahead. Oil prices have fallen in recent months. International benchmark Brent crude futures stood at $100 a barrel in late August, traded at $85.46 a barrel on Tuesday afternoon in London, up 2.7% for the session. Okay, But this is important to remember, too. Remember, China, they're kind of protesting and they still have the zero COVID policy. And if they're not 100% up and running, there's not going to be a demand for oil in China right now. And they even admit this too. It says here, oil demand heading south in China. Demand is probable heading south again in China, given what's going on, Curry said. Quote, I think the key point with China right now is that the risk that you get forced reopening, that means it, it will be self-imposed lockdowns where people don't want to get on trains, don't want to go to work, and demand goes further south. Curry said OPEC producers will need to discuss whether to accommodate for the weakness in demand in China. Quote, I think it's a high probability that we do see a cut, he added. OPEC Plus agreed in early October to reduce production by 2 million barrels a day from November. It came despite calls from from the U.S. for OPEC Plus to pump more to lower fuel prices and help the global economy. Led by Saudi Arabia and Russia... Remember, Russia is on this council too. OPEC plus slashed output by a record 10 million barrels per day. In early 2020, when demand plummeted due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the oil cartel has since gradually unwound those record cuts a bit with several OPEC countries struggling to fulfill their quotas. OPEC plus has recently hinted it would impose deeper output cuts to spur a recovery in crude prices. The signals came despite a report from Wall Street Journal suggesting that an output increase of 500,000 barrels was under, was under discussion for December 4th. Okay, let's take a trip down memory lane as much as we can. And I, like I always say, go listen to that podcast when Joe Biden was complaining about OPEC plus cutting production before the midterm elections in October. I think we talked about it. But if we remember correctly, at least to my memory, OPEC said, and Saudi Arabia in particular, they said, we have to do what we can to survive. And at the end of the day, they're going to do that again. 
they're going to do what they need to do to survive. It's not like Saudi Arabia is like, oh yeah, we're going to help the United States with their oil demands. We were a energy independent, I believe under President Donald Trump. Could be wrong. I do know, like I've mentioned in past podcasts, that Joe Biden has restricted amount of land that can be used to drill. And there are reports saying that under Joe Biden's presidency, we are drilling the most oil than ever. Uh, Well, if you look at the numbers in reality, it's because they're only using the first year of his presidency instead of looking at it from the entire perspective. You have to look at it from his entire time in office versus when Donald Trump was in office. But that's something the news won't ever do that half of the time. At the end of the day, (laughs) I'm expecting oil to go to $110 a barrel. My honest opinion, not financial advice, obviously. But the only reason I say that is I expect OPEC to make a cut, okay? One thing we have mentioned in this podcast was that China was selling Russian oil to other countries. And I, I, I still believe, I mean, it's been a while since I've done the research on it. I still think China might still be doing that at the end of the day. I mean, they don't have the need for the oil. I mean, they can buy cheaper oil from Russia at the end of the day too. And then they can just export all their oil. And then obviously, at the end of the day, too, it comes down to OPEC's going to do what it needs to do to survive. And they want to make as much money as possible. And so I personally would not be surprised if they decide to cut oil productions. Which also means, don't be surprised if next quarter, when the oil companies report earnings and they crush their earnings, that you can see a lovely president of the United States blaming the oil companies for being greedy and wanting to make all this money at the end of the day. And that it's their fault that their oil prices are this high and the American people are suffering in the gas pump because of evil, evil oil companies. Remember, Apple made $20 billion last quarter and ExxonMobil made $19 billion. ExxonMobil almost matched Apple's revenue last quarter. And no politician said anything about it, about Apple. Instead, it was, it's ExxonMobil's fault that the American economy is struggling. At some some point, people are going to wake up and realize they've been lied to in some way, shape, or form. And when that day comes, that's going to be extremely interesting to see what happens. But like I said, do expect that next quarter, potentially, my opinion, not financial advice, If OPEC Plus does make an oil production cut, ExxonMobil, Chevron, British Petroleum, Shell, you name the oil company, they're going to make a lot of money. They will. If if there is a production cut from OPEC Plus. Because it means there's less supply. There's still demand here in the United States. And then the question becomes too, what happens if China decides to reopen everything because they decide that, hey, we don't want to deal with these protests anymore, so we're going to stop doing the zero COVID policy in the making. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be a giant, giant mess in the making. We'll find out soon, and we'll try to report it when OPEC decides to announce what they're doing, because what OPEC does, OPEC Plus does, will pretty much affect everything in the economy going forward. And we will we'll report it as much as we can when it comes out. So I'll leave it there. With that being said, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. If you had, please like and subscribe to this podcast. Every like and subscription does help grow this podcast as much as possible so that we'll be able to continue to grow this podcast. For those of you who have been my fellow followers for as long as you have been, thank you so much for continuing to share our videos as we continue to grow. Uh, Small disclosure too, I forgot to mention, I do own shares. I have to say this again, I own shares in Nightscope, Apple and Exxon and Chevron, small and long-term positions. Because I had mentioned their names and you got to make sure you mention those names. 
at times if you have positions obviously if you're recording with that being said thank you so much for listening to today's podcast today continue to share with friends and family thank you and goodbye <laughs>